Listen, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. It's so good to be with you guys tonight. You know, we're continuing our sermon series on Sunday nights that we uh, have entitled Epic. Epic. Let me have a question for you, though, before as we get started. And don't raise your hand. Just answer it to yourself. And, um, and it kind of ties into something we've been talking about recently. But do you believe that people are basically good? Yeah, most people are just basically good. I mean, not perfect, but just, you know, most people just want to do the right thing. Now, if you say yes to that question, you're certainly in the majority of people think that people are basically good. Um, and also, like most people, you're just, you're wrong. Amen? And uh, you're vastly wrong. If what a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in the Bible is true. And I believe every word of Scripture is true. Paul believed, and I believe, that the Bible teaches that basically people aren't good. People are generally bad. Basically, we're not good people who occasionally say, do, think bad things. We're bad people who have to teach ourselves not to say, do, think bad things. And that's a big difference. Now, if you don't agree with that, let me give you something to ponder. Um, <clears throat> how hard is it to do bad things? It's not too hard. I mean, some of you might not be thinking very good of the preacher right now. It wasn't hard, was it? It just came natural. For example, take lust. If you're a normal, red-blooded, American, healthy male, what is easier, to just naturally lust after someone or to discipline yourself not to do that? Something else to think about. If people are basically good and not basically bad, why did you lock your door before you came to church tonight? Why do we have so many laws? Think about the form of government we have. Three branches of government. We have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive. And there's a reason our founding fathers didn't just willy-nilly throw that together because they knew that men could be corrupt and there needed to be a system of checks and balances. Why do we think we need that? Look at this next slide. This is James Madison. He's the chief architect of the Constitution. He said this. He said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. He said, if angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would even be necessary. He says, in framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed. And in the next place, oblige it to control itself. A dependence on the people is no doubt the primary control of the government. But experience has taught mankind the necessity of auxiliary precautions. He went a really long way and used some really nice uh, um, 18th century language to say most people are bad. Right? Most people aren't good people who occasionally do wrong. We're bad people who have to teach ourselves to do good. People are not angels. He said there, he said, if men were angels, no government would even be necessary. But angels, we are not. We're not good people who occasionally do bad. We're bad people who occasionally do good. And that through discipline, that's why we need grace. Now, we've called this sermon series, do you feel good about yourself right now? You're welcome. Uh, this uh, uh, sermon series, we've called it Epic because when I read through this, it reads to me like a blockbuster movie. The director is the Apostle Paul. Uh, the world is the supporting cast. That's us. The setting is the world. We're their supporting cast, and we're in the movie, and it's all about us, and it's about 
what grace is, how grace works, why grace is so amazing. That's what's incredible about this first part of the book of Romans. And if this was a movie, it would sweep the Academy Awards and win every Oscar because God himself is the executive producer. And it begins in an incredible way. It shows how God has created a universe in order for him to uh, reveal himself to us and have a relationship with us. But then rather than accept God, we have rejected God. Matter of fact, Scripture says that the more he revealed himself to us, the more we pushed back because of our sinful nature. Rather than living for God, men live for themselves. It shows the world as it, all, as it really is, that we have all sinned, that we're all greedy, selfish, prideful, and every single one of us has flaws, that nobody is perfect. We talked about it this morning, and we are all in the same boat. We all know that. We know everybody, nobody's perfect, especially if you've been married. Because she'll tell you. Amen? Amen. I'm just kidding. Why are we all flawed? Well, don't look at her. Why do we do wrong? I'm sorry. That's not my fault that Clay told me to do it. Amen? Listen, why can't one person break the mold, right, and be perfect and not do anything wrong? Well, only one person ever did that, and that's Jesus. And only all of human history, there's only ever been one human being who lived without sin, and that's Christ. Why not somebody else? Why isn't anybody else perfect? Why can't any one of us measure up? While we're on a real sense, we're born losers with a sinful nature. Our problem and our solution lies in two men. One is Adam and the other one is Jesus. And the principle that we're going to see tonight is grace. But first you need to understand this. Number one, write this down now that you're feeling good about yourself. We are all infected by Adam. We were all infected by the sin that Adam committed. Whenever you have a problem, you can't solve that problem unless you look to see what the problem really is and what the root cause of the problem really is. Is something wrong with the inserts, guys? The wrong ones? My bad. My bad. Well, just write this down anyway. We're all in Adam. You don't have to have a PhD to know the problem. It's obvious to us. Sometimes we make errors, mistakes, mess up the bulletin. Amen? Nobody's perfect. The world is full of sinners, and the question is, why? Look in your Bible at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. The two greatest uh, challenges that we have as humanity is sin and death. How did sin get into the world? It got into the world through Adam. He's the one man that Paul is referring to in the book of Romans. He's the first human who committed the first sin. Adam is the door through which sin entered and death followed right behind it. Uh, the death that Paul is referring to here is not just physical death, the separation of the soul from the body, but spiritual death, the separation of the human soul from God. Adam did eventually die, and every person since has Died. Look at this next slide. We all die because we all sin. We all die because we all sin. That's one of the reasons why I reject evolution, uh, because the Bible says so. The Scripture is clear that death didn't enter into the world until sin entered into the world. That once sin entered the scene, that's when death started to happen. For evolution to be true, that, can, that statement can't be true. What the Bible says about because the result of sin is death cannot be true. For evolution to be true, there has to be living and dying and living and dying and living and dying, living and dying and living. And then someday, after a million years of living and dying, a man appeared. Right? Scripture is clear that when sin entered in, then followed 
death. Death, that's the result of sin, both physical and spiritual. And also Paul, he's, he, that verse, it's in the past tense, not the present tense. That idea that we sinned because in Adam we have sinned. Uh, when he sinned, we all sinned. Adam's sin infected the whole human race, and that's just the way it is. We're just naturally born sinners. Look at this next slide. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Sin isn't just what we do. Sin is who we are apart from Christ. Do you know what the very first lines that were ever printed in America were? What the very first lines? Look at this next slide. It was the New England Primer. And when they would teach their children the ABCs, this is the very first book printed in America. And the very first thing, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Right? From the very beginning of this country, we've had, we've had this realization that we're not perfect, that we have a sinful nature, and it goes all the way back to Adam. Matter of fact, we see generational connectedness all the time. Crack babies have crack mamas. Right? Drug babies... Uh, are born, but why? Because they've received that from their mother. AIDS often gets transferred uh, to the children uh, in, in a, an emotional, spiritual. Many times, child abusers raise child abusers, many times, statistically speaking. Alcoholics, many times, raise alcoholics. We see this generational connectedness all the time. Not always, but often. And if you have any doubts, just look at your children. Now, I know they're Okay, if they're your grandchildren, I know they're perfect. But if they're your children, you know better. Amen? You see the difference. Never yet have I heard a parent come to me and say, Pastor, you got to help me with my kids. They're perfect. I can't get them to do anything wrong. They do exactly what I say all the time. No. Right? Many times our children are disobedient, and they pick it up naturally. We, admit, we have to teach our children to do the right things. Seldom do we have to illustrate and show them how to do the wrong things. It's in our nature. To prove this, to illustrate this, Paul interrupts himself in the next two verses. Look at verse 13, Romans chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 there in your Bibles. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, the objection here, that the argument that Paul is answering is what about the people who died when there wasn't a law? There wasn't any Ten Commandments. We didn't have uh, God's law. What about all those people that died? How can people sin if there's no law to break? And what Paul is doing, he's making this crucial point. Look at this next slide that the presence of law, of a law, can reveal a sin, but the absence of law does not remove a sin. Between Adam and Moses, there was basically no law and there was no commandment. Adam broke a specific commandment of God to him. And because of that, we've all been infected. There can only be one explanation. Everybody died between Adam and Moses because everybody sinned. Because when Adam opened the door to sin, he opened the door to death. Death follows after. Adam sinfully infected and uh, defected the entire human race. We're sinners, man. And we're sinners inherently because we've inherited uh, from Adam. We die because he sinned. And he sinned. Uh, and we all sin. We're all sinners. And we'll die because of sin. 
Number two, write this down. The second thing I want you to see is, is somewhere on that bulletin where there are others. Write down this. We are corrected by Jesus. We were infected by Adam, but thank God we've been corrected by Jesus. Adam does not have the last say in who we are and what we do and who we can be. Look in your Bible at Romans 5, verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. Okay, so Adam was the offense. The free gift isn't like it. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. What, what Adam did to us, Jesus can undo for us. Uh, what the gift uh, Paul is talking about is the gift of Jesus dying for us, the, the, the cross, salvation. Adam's sin brought guilt. Uh, Jesus' death brought grace. Adam's sin ruined us. Jesus' death gave us righteousness and redeems us. Adam condemned us to eternal death. Jesus can give us eternal life. And so you see there what the one man brought, the other one even more so. Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand that when we look at Adam and Jesus, it's not just a one-on-one comparison, that ultimately there's not really any comparison there at all. Look at verse number 16. It says, and the gift, in other words, Christ, the gift going to the cross is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Adam's sin put us under the judgment of Almighty God, and the death of Jesus puts us under the mercy of God. And it's an important distinction. And Adam, there's nothing but condemnation. And because of Adam, we're deemed guilty and sinful and deserve death. But because of Jesus, we can truly be not guilty and delivered to eternal life. Again, um, as you read through this, Paul, he'll continue the comparison, but what he's really showing you is there's no comparison. Listen to the second half of verse 16 again. Romans 5, verse 16 says, For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. God's judgment came by one uh, sin committed by one man in one place at one time. And through Jesus, God's grace can cover all the sins of all people at all places for all times for those who receive him. Look at verse 17. It says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, okay, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one. Jesus Christ. Man, this just keeps getting deeper and higher. I wish we had more time to dig into it. But it's not just that Jesus' death, uh, that Jesus replaced death with life. That's not the picture. We're not survivors. We're thrivers. Do you understand? You're not, you know, you're not coming out of this, uh, this sin-scarred world like, a, like somebody coming out of a concentration camp, weak and barely making it, but somehow you're going to hang on and survive. That's not the picture that they give us, that where once death reigned over us, once we received Christ, we now reign over death. Where once death reigned over us and was uh, the king of us, we're now the kings over death. It no longer rules us. Death is now our slave. Because of Adam, we were born slaves to sin and death. But because of Christ, we no longer have to live slaves to sin and death. We've been elevated to a throne of grace 
in Christ Jesus. We're not just survivors. We have victory in Jesus. He not only freed us, but he took us from being slaves to being rulers, from paupers to being kings. Let me give you an analogy. Imagine if you got pulled over, and the police officer is going to give you a speeding ticket, and you are speeding. Now, that speeding ticket is what you deserve, right? Now, the grace of God, you know, isn't just that you don't get the ticket, but imagine if the police officer pulled you over and said, man, you're speeding, and didn't give you a ticket, and then gave you a $100 bill. How about that? That's a poor picture, but that's what the grace of God is like. Christ didn't just pay for the offense. He didn't just deliver us from death into life. He delivered us from death into life, victorious, walking with him and having him, the Holy Spirit power, living in our lives, guiding us every day so that we can live victorious in Christ Jesus, not so that we can eat or our way through life, griping, complaining, moaning, and groaning, and dreading every sunrise. We have victory in Jesus. And this kind of leads me to the climax of what Paul says. Uh, number three, look at this. We're also, we're affected by grace. Now, we were infected by the sin of Adam, but we're affected by grace because of what Christ does for us. And, and um, they always say a good communicator, what does he do? He tells you what he's going to say, and then he says it, and then he tells you what he told you, right? Have you ever heard that? That's what Paul is doing here. He's going to give us a summary in verse number 18. Look at it, Romans chapter 5, verse 18. So he kind of just summarizes everything we went through. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Right? And so again, he's just summarizing what we've already covered. Let me summarize it even more. Look at this next slide. What Adam did to us, Jesus can undo. What, Je what Adam did to us, Jesus can fix and correct. We weren't with Adam when he's like sometimes if you think you're like, that's not fair. I wasn't there, right? I wasn't there when Adam sinned, and it's not fair. But scripture teaches us that we were in Adam, and when he sinned, we all sinned. We weren't with Jesus when he went to Calvary and became sin for us either. But the Bible tells us that when we're in Christ, we're made righteous. Look at verse number 20. Romans 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now just soak that in for just a second. And what that's saying is that the law of God arrived on the scene not so that we could know how to do good, not so that we could be righteous, not so that we could somehow clean ourselves up to such a point that we would be good. Stop being bad people who do good, but start being good people who sometimes do bad. He says the law entered that the offense might abound. This is going to shock to the Jewish system in his day. Many Jews thought that God gave his law and gave his commandments so they could know how to be right with God by keeping the commandments. Instead, Paul points out the law doesn't increase or the law doesn't decrease sin. The law actually increases uh, sin. It doesn't make us righteous. The law shows us more and more as unrighteous. The law doesn't prevent sin. It provokes it. Again, look at your own children, not your grandchildren. We know they're perfect. But look at your children. What's the most sure-fired way for your little child to want to do something? 
if you tell them, don't do that, right? Right? And all of us are like that. We've all played that parent-child game. We lay down the law, and they break it, right? Why? There's one thing we never grow out of. We don't like to be told what to do, do you? We don't like to be told what to do and where to do it or how to do it. We like to make our own rules. And whenever we're told we can't do something, we just think, buckle up and watch. I'm going to do it anyway. Now, here's an illustration. I'm going to step on your toes. Look at, look at this next slide. I don't even need to say anything, do I? If you're like me and most of us, what you'll do is you'll catch yourself creeping up on a speed limit, and you know, and you know, if you're a few miles an hour over, you're never getting pulled over, are you? Most of the time in most places. And so you know that if you're a few miles over, and so then eventually you kind of convince yourself, well, I could go five over. You know you're pretty safe doing five. And then if then you're on the interstate and you're getting your doors blown off, you know I can do 10 miles over, right? You can do 10 miles over the speed limit. And you'll probably be okay, probably not get pulled over. Now imagine, imagine for one second, so let's say the speed limit's 65, so you do 75, right? Speed limit's 65, but on the interstate, you do 75 because you know you can do about 10 on the interstate and be okay. You'll still be getting passed. And the state of Tennessee comes down, they say, you know what? We just hate that we're making all of you break the law. We know you don't want to be lawbreakers. And we've decided everybody's doing 75 anyway. So we're just going to raise the speed limit from 65 to 75. Now, what would your reaction be? Your reaction uh, uh, probably wouldn't be, hot diggity dog, I never have to break the law again. Your reaction is, 85, baby. 85. Right? You're... You just got a new speed that you get to go, right? The law was never given to show that you could be good by keeping the law. It was never given to show that you could be right with God any more than you're right by not keeping that, spe that speed limit. As soon as it went up, you're like, yeah, here we go. The law is the same thing as that speed limit sign. That when we look at the law, we recognize that we fall short. And that we don't measure up. And often we break the law. It was given to show that you'll never be right with God through the law because you can't keep it. And many times you just don't want to keep it. The only way to overcome being uh, uh, like this is through grace. Look at Romans 5 verse 20. The last part of verse 20 says this. It says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What he's telling us over and over again, Adam's sin is no match for Jesus' death. Adam's sin is no match for Jesus' death. Our sin is no match for the grace of God. The dam of our sin cannot stop the flood of God's grace. That where sin grows, grace overflows. Where sin reigns, grace floods. When sin meets grace, sin loses, grace wins. And really, when we go through these verses, and there's so much more here, the question is, where are you? Where am I? What do you mean? We talked about this just a few moments ago. 
Look at this next line. Everybody in the world is one of two places. You're either in Adam or you're in Jesus. You're either under the law and you're trying to prove your righteousness by being good, and I hope you are good. You're either under law or you're under grace. Which is it? Are you in Adam, striving, working, still lost in your sin? Or are you in Jesus, living under grace and no longer the law? Where are you? I hope that you're in Jesus and that you're in grace because the law is just an illustration to show us that we don't measure up. We don't have what it takes. But Jesus did. The first Adam let us down. The second Adam never will. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that your word will do what your word does, God, that your Holy Spirit will communicate your truth to your people. Look, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. If you're here tonight, man, and you don't know for sure that you are in Christ Jesus, that you have been forgiven, that you have been redeemed, that somehow there's something in you, any little corner of your heart that's saying that it's you, man, that it's up to you if you're going to be right with God. I just want to encourage you. Turn from your sin. The law shows you that you're a sinner. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and ask him to save you. Matter of fact, why don't you pray a prayer like this right there in your seat. You can just humbly come to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I sin, I do sin, I break your law, I break your commandments. But Lord, I turn from my sin. I repent and I turn to Jesus to save me. Save me, Jesus. Just tell him, Lord, I don't want to be an Adam anymore. I want to be in Christ, forgiven, redeemed, and clean. You have to get to that point where you're absolutely convinced that you can no longer clean yourself up and somehow earn a right standing with God surrender to Christ and he'll clean you up and he'll give you the strength to live a life that's pleasing to God but you can't do it on your own